Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, I got a question in the Monday mailbag from a Washington State fan who's very frustrated over where Washington State was ranked in the latest AP poll, or not ranked, frankly. They're in the also-receiving-votes category. Washington State uh, has played very well. Has, I think, four quad one wins, three of them on the road. What gives? Well, I reached out to Jerry Palm, the resident bracketologist at CBS Sports, as I always do when it comes to such questions, and I'm bringing Jerry Palm on the show now. How are you, my friend? Where are you today? I'm at home. So, Northwest Indiana. From basket, the heartland of America when it comes to basketball. When you look out your now window, do you... From yeah. the best team in the country. When you, yeah, Purdue. So but when you so look out the window, do you see barns and kids shooting baskets? No, nah, I'm suburban Chicago. So, um, kids shooting baskets, yes. Barns, nah, not so much in this part of the world. Jerry Palm, help me with that question. Washington State, very well coached, playing great. You know, why aren't they getting as much respect in the polls? I noticed you have them on your bracket, but why aren't they getting yeah. respect from voters? Um, you know, I don't ask me to explain voters. Uh, did voters are – you're asking me to explain voters. They're just – you know, they, they probably haven't got, like, the big flash win recently enough to get their attention. So, you know, it's uh, – the, the nice thing, though, if you're a Washington State fan – the voters have no bearing whatsoever on whether or not Washington State is going to get in the tournament or where they're seated. The polls are not at all criteria. So just treat them as entertainment value, and because that's really all they're worth. Um, what's much more important is uh, you were talking about their four quad one wins, you know, three of them away from home. Uh, you know, thing, things like that are important. I, voters don't care about stuff like that. They're just measuring basically winning streaks. Um, so, uh, Washington State's in pretty decent shape. Um, they have, uh, the loss to Santa Clara. It's a quad three loss. It's, they're not horrible. Um, but they're, that's not a great loss. Um, you know, that, but they, they've done reasonably well. I mean, this is a, a resume that's good enough to be in the bracket at the moment. Um, they've got a reasonably favorable schedule with five home games left out of seven, all of them winnable games in fact really must wins because not necessarily you have to win it just to make the tournament but those are the home games that they have left losses to those teams at home will hurt you know those are going to be uh quad two or three losses and then that you get the arizona road trip uh arizona state also a, a team that could hurt you but it's, it's a little more forgivable if you lose to them on the road uh and then you get another shot at arizona where you could really get the voters' attention if that's what you want, but get the committee's attention. That's that's what's really important. The Pac-12, you know, hasn't had a great season when it comes to, you know, teams that you consider tournament teams. And, in fact, right now, I was reading uh, your latest post, you don't have them with a team that is a lock yet to uh, to oh, be the there. Yeah, I mean, you know, Arizona, yes, we all expect that they will. But, the, but, you know, when you look at the conference, how many teams do you expect the Pac-12 What's the high? What's the low you could see getting in? 
I, I'm going to have I have a hard time seeing that's five if everything really went well. Um, and then you're talking about Utah, Colorado, Washington State, and Oregon, uh, all finding their way in. Um, I think that three or four is more likely. I kind of like four. I think, you know, I, I like Washington State to get in. Um, I, I like Colorado and Utah to get in. I'm not as sure about Oregon. Um, but, I, I, you know, Washington State's probably in the best shape of the four of them at the moment um, and playing the best ball of the four of them at the moment. Uh, can't, can't really rule out what Washington with Washington got hot. They, they'd have an outside shot, but they just have to, they really have to get hot. Time's starting to run out on them. And I and I started, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, thinking about the Pac-12 tournament being really wide open. Um, in your estimation, as far as the conference goes, what should people be rooting for? If you're rooting for the conference to have a good showing, you know, is it somebody like Oregon winning that that tournament? Would that be a best case scenario to get mo- an extra team in? Maybe uh, it doesn't, wouldn't necessarily have to be Oregon. Um, it could be anybody because. You know, the winner's an automatic qualifier, so it could be Stanford, you know, just to pull a name out of a hat. And uh, if they win the tournament, then, you know, uh, the, the only bad thing about something like that is they may take someone out along the way. Um, but Arizona winning the tournament doesn't really help the league much. So it would be better if almost anybody else won the tournament. Jerry Palm with us. Bracketology expert, CBS Sports. Um, you, you're real close to Purdue. They have been on top or near the top of the rankings for uh, a good portion of the season. What do you see when you see Purdue, and and how good is that team compared to maybe a year ago? Yeah, they're well. First of all, last year they were playing with freshman guards, and those guys are sophomores now, so they're bigger, they're stronger, um, they're smarter. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the, the jump from freshman to sophomore is the biggest jump uh, in college basketball in terms of development. And so these guys are, um, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, uh, are much improved over last year. But the, the real big thing that they did is they got Lance Jones from Southern Illinois. Uh, they got him because he was a really good defensive player, and he's turned out to be an offensive spark plug as well. And uh, so now Purdue's starting three guards around Zach Eady and, uh, and oddly enough, two post players, um, Zach and Trey Kaufman-Wren. But uh, they, um, Lance Jones has given them another dimension that they haven't had. He's really fast on the perimeter. He's a good on-ball defender. Uh, he can shoot the three. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's been a real spark plug, and he's brought a lot of positive energy. This is a guy who really likes playing for Purdue. And that's that's infectious throughout the team. So um, he's probably the biggest difference between last year and this year is what he has brought in terms of energy and effectiveness to the to the Purdue lineup. Jerry, you you make a living sort of predicting the bracket and doing a really good job of it. But what are the, what are the committee members looking at when they're selecting teams and when they're seeding teams? What are they using yeah. to evaluate those teams? Well, the the team sheets you know, have the quadrants. I mean, we talked about quadrants, right? So quadrant one is your hardest games, and it's based on the net ranking of your opponent and where the game was, home road or neutral. And then quadrant two is the next group of hardest games and quadrant three and quadrant four. So um, 
So that gives them that just gives them a way to organize a team schedule in a way that makes it easy for them to sort of see, you know, let's see who the best teams they played are. Now I know where to look. Um, but you know, it's not they don't sit there and discuss quadrant records very much because not all quad one wins and losses are the same. Um, you can have a quad two win that is better than one of your quad one wins because of the quality of the team you played, even though you may have played them at home. So anyways, the, the committee's basically answering four questions. Who did you play? Where did you play them? Who did you beat? And who beat you? That, that's how they evaluate these teams. So it's subjective. They've got all this subjective data uh, that helps them do that. But those are the questions they're trying to answer. And the question that's missing there is, how much did you win or lose by? What was the margin of victory? They don't care about that. But the net ranking that they created cares a lot about margin of victory. It's heavily margin of victory influenced. Uh, some of the other well-known metrics by Ken Palm, heavily margin of influence. Of victory influence because it's actually trying to predict margin of victory, which the net is not. But um, so those, a lot of people fall in love with those rankings and expect that those rankings, you know, are really important in terms of selection and seeding, and they're not. The net is used strictly to put teams in buckets. Your opponent's net rankings are more important than your own. So, um, Anyways, so the metrics are, are, they're not nothing, but if that's all you have, you don't have anything. Um, so really it's, you know, your strength of schedule, the quality of the teams you beat. They want to see that you can beat tournament quality opposition off your home floor, ideally. Uh, that's kind of what, one of the things holding New Mexico back. Um, so it's, it's really, it's just a subjective thing. You know, you've got 10 or 11 committee members, and, you know, they all have their own opinions. Um, and some of the data points mean more to one committee member than another. But essentially, you know, they want teams that have played good schedules and have done well against good schedules and have done well against good teams and have done so off their home floor. I am thinking back to 2017. NCAA is talking about replacing RPI. Yep. What went, what went in into that? Yeah, you were in that meeting. Okay, so tell who yep. else is in that meeting? How does that go? So. So this is just the initial meeting when they first started um, talking about it. Um, the, uh, Dan Gavitt, who's uh, in charge of it, the uh, basketball for the NCAA for the tournament, um, one of the committee members, um, Jeff Sagarin, the, the rankings guy, Ken Pomeroy's there, uh, Kevin Paga, who uh, his rankings are on the team sheet as well. His is a non-margin of victory ranking. Um, the ESPN staff guy was there. Uh, Mike DeCourcy was there as a writer uh, who's now doing brackets. I don't think he was then. Um, and uh, and some other NCAA staffer. Anyway, they, they, the NCAA was, wanted some input as to, to what kinds of things that they should consider doing or not doing. Um, it, the, the thing that I remember most about that meeting uh, that I'm willing to say on the air is Ken Pomeroy uh, – <laughs> whose rankings, you know, like I said, are heavily influenced on margin of victory, don't really consider, like, the, the concept of a win doesn't really mean anything to him. Um, but, obviously, if you're doing margin of victory, you you know who won, but you don't get extra credit for having a win. You just, it's all about the margin. Um, anyways, he, uh, after the uh, committee member and, and Dan Gavin are tell, talking about the kinds of things that they're looking to to have, you know, the qualities they look for at NCAA tournament teams, he says, 
you should not be using my rankings. I'm not measuring what you're trying to reward. Hmm. And first of all, good on him for saying so. Um, I, I, I've always believed that's true, but he also, you know, he just flat out said, I'm not measuring what you're trying to reward. You shouldn't be using my rankings. Everybody uses his rankings. But there, you, you have a hard time finding people to talk about teams without mentioning their Ken Palm ranking or their net ranking, which practically mirrors Ken Palm's rankings, um, correlates very strongly statistically uh, to Ken Palm's rankings. Anyways, um, and so, you know, they don't really have a lot of influence, but in the, in the public eye, they do. And so I get a lot of questions about my bracket. It's like, well, you know, our net ranking is this and our 10 palm ranking is that. Why aren't we higher? Well, because those aren't really big factors in, in what they're trying to do. That, you know, you talk about, you know, setting your ego aside. Ken Pomeroy could have been like, you know, hey, yeah. I'm kind of a big deal. Let's use yeah. my let's use my f- formula, and instead he's going. Uh, you guys aren't after what I'm measuring, and yeah. So but- yeah, yes, and and you know that's the thing about math guys generally. I mean, they have. I, I mean, generally they feel very strongly about the system they've created, right? But they also understand that you know what they're best at and what they're not, and if you're honest at all. You know, and, and a lot of them are. You're, most of them would say the same thing. If that's if that if they were in that position, they would say the same thing. You know, that's that's kind of the you know I guess, I guess kind of the math geek thing, and I'm a math geek too. You know that you just you would just flat tell people, look, I can't help you right now. You know, this is not something that's going to be helpful to you. You shouldn't use it. And that's I that it, it didn't surprise me. Once he said it, uh, that he did say it, um, it's, it's just uh, I, I would have certainly believed he would have thought it. Jerry Palm with us, CBS Sports Bracketology expert. Back in the day, Jerry, you uh, you sort of uh, invented and operated collegerpi.com, collegebcs.com. You know, you eventually transition and go to work for CBS Sports. You leave your your normal uh, nine to five job and find your way. That was all a hobby, right? Like you got your start because what you were interested in college basketball and college football. So my degree is computer science. I'm a math guy. Um, But in 94, I had a new computer, new database software. Uh, The Al Gore just invented the internet. So we had access to some stuff and um, they had just changed the formula for the RPI. So I had known of the RPI, um, but I didn't really know that much about it. So now I've got the formula, and I thought, well, so this gives me a chance to teach myself this new technology, right? I create a database, and I, I you know, get all these scores and stuff, and I run calculations, and I do the RPI. And I thought, well, I wonder if anybody else is interested in this. So I shared it on news groups um, with the caveman writing on the wall version of message boards now. And um, people were interested. I never thought anybody would be. And within a couple of years, the thing blew up. You know, I don't know if you know Dave Jones in Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, but he was the first media guy to find me. And he told two friends, they told two friends, and pretty soon everybody who covered college basketball knew who I was, and I wasn't really doing anything but answering the phone. Um, so <laughs> and making and, you know, making my, my little predictions available, and, uh, and the whole thing blew up, and uh, 
you know, the next thing you know, uh, 10 or 15 years later, I'm, uh, I'm working for CBS. And so this will be my 31st year of doing brackets. So when you um, so make, that's, yeah, when you make the jump, you make the jump from doing college basketball, college RPI to doing the BCS, it's just numbers, right? Like it was just, it was, it, it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I had all of the, the, the basics that I needed to do that. I just had to, I just had to, you know, reprogram and collect different data, but that part was easy. I didn't have to set up <clears throat> databases of schools and things like that. I already had the, I already had the, you know, the bones for it. I just had to put a little different kind of meat on them. And they tried to sell us in the day that the BCS was the best system. Was it? It was better than what we had, um, marginally. <laughs> yeah, marginally. I think better. I think what I think what we're gonna have next is probably the best that we can reasonably expect for major college football. Um, we're not going to leave out undefeated teams anymore. Um, so if you, if you've won all your games, you're going to get a shot at something unless we have, I suppose, two non-major undefeated teams and that could be a problem, but Florida right. state's not getting left out of the new system, you know, along those lines, how do you expect schools will schedule non-conference games with the expanded playoff? Um, I, I suspect the we, you know, the TV influences some of that. Um, I think more so than in college basketball, because you have so few non-conference games in, in football, um, you'll have TV specials in basketball too, but it's, you know, one or two games out of, you know, a dozen you might play that are non-conference games. But when you only have three or maybe four non-conference games and TV's taken one of yours to schedule a really good game for you, then that has a bigger impact. But I think for the most part, you know, the teams that think that they can make the playoff are going to try and schedule as many winnable games as they can and then take TV money once a year maybe for, for another one. Jerry Palm, you're the best. I'm glad they put you in that room. Find his work uh, online at CBS Sports. He is the expert. We'll get you back on closer to the tournament. But Thank you, man. Fascinating conversation. All right. Thank you. There he is in Indiana where kids are shooting baskets as we speak. Some parting thoughts coming up. Big brouhaha in Louisiana. We're the Louisiana Lafayette, the Ragin' Cajuns. We're playing Cal in softball on Friday. And uh, I don't know if you you caught this, uh, this story, but, um, you know, it was a uh, three-day, three-game series between Cal in softball in Louisiana Lafayette, formerly southwestern Louisiana State, but now Louisiana Lafayette, Ragin' Cajuns. Uh, six Cal players in softball took a knee during the national anthem. This did not go over well with the crowd in uh, Louisiana. Um, people were shouting at them and jeering at them and uh, members of the uh, Cal softball team uh, got, you know, six members got down on a knee and a um, bunch of booing and it's just some bad feelings. Um, Cal got no hit in the opening game. And then during the second game, Cal won 3-1 to one in extra innings. And then the third game of the set took place on Monday of this week. And Cal was ahead one nothing in the seventh inning. When rain started to fall, there's already bad feelings in this game. Rain starts to fall. Louisiana Lafayette has a runner at first base. 
Cal's pitcher is struggling. Randy Rowling is struggling to uh, throw strikes. It's raining. She's complaining that the ball's wet. Her coach is coming out, arguing with the umpires. Uh, fans in the stands already have bad feelings or jeering at Cal. Um, Cal's pitcher throws a wild pitch on the next pitch. Runner goes to second. Coach comes out, argues with the umpire some more, says we shouldn't be playing. The umpire gets a dry ball, uh, tells the pitcher to keep it in her glove until she's ready to throw. She, of course, throws a wild pitch again. Runner on third in a one nothing game in the seventh inning. Rain still falling. Arguing with the umpire continues. Uh, then uh, another wild pitch brings home the tying run. Uh, Bears assistant coach comes storming out of the dugout, arguing with the umpire, gets tossed out. Uh, now there is some altercation between players at Louisiana and Cal, arguing. There's helmet throwing. Um, this is like right out of minor league baseball's greatest hits. Uh, as Cal and Louisiana are talking about a wildly toxic three-game series that ended with uh, Louisiana Lafayette winning that third game and uh, three to one score, but uh, there you go, little drama in the softball world, little drama there. Cal headed to the ACC to play softball, where they'll see uh, other opponents on the eastern part of the United States. Probably won't be returning to Louisiana. The bald faced truth not here for a long time. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but. If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.